And then I, I read it, and then I, I saw that, wow, this isn't just throwaway words. These are really maybe some of the most important words in this entire letter. So let's read it with that in mind, that, that these really are probably some of the most profound, life-changing words in this entire letter. Let's read God's word together. Now, and that now, by the way, is in light of everything he's written, now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that these words would not just be mere words, but they would penetrate our hearts and minds, that you would specifically bring your encouragement and your hope and, Lord, joy as a result. God, I pray that you would empower all of us to hear from you, and, Lord, you would excite us in you. God, and I pray that you would do this all by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a bad habit. Not the only bad habit I have, but I have at least, at least one bad habit that I'd like to get rid of. That's been a hard one to, to get rid of. It's a hard one. It's been a pernicious one to break. It's the habit that when, whenever I hear a compliment, I'm always thinking of six reasons why that's not true. Anybody ever have that? You ever have that tendency? You hear something and say, hey, good job. And you're like, yeah, not really. All these other things I could have done right. All these other things I could have done better. You know, when I'm thanked, I, can, I think of all the things I missed. And, and if I experienced some success or achievement, I remember, you know, going and getting performance appraisal, appro- uh, approval, appraisal reports, depends on how you look at those, um, and, and my job. And I would go through that, and I would get high marks, but they would share one or two little areas to improve. And you know what I would hear? The, the negative. The, the one or two things to work on and improve that really weren't major, weren't a big deal, but they weren't quite good enough. And maybe, maybe you've never gotten a performance appraisal report. Maybe you've never gone through that formally. But, but in our heads, we tend to do that. We, when, we, when we hear things, we tend to hear the negative. We tend to hear the commands, what we have to do, instead of what's already been done. When we read God's word, we can approach his word that way as well. When we hear all of who we are in Christ, what we just sang about, what we professed in communion, what we glory in is what Jesus has done for us because we could not, and who he's made us in him. And so we hear all those wonderful glorious things but you know what we walk away with at times the areas where we need to improve where we need to do better where all the commands we need to obey and so often we hear those commands the do's instead of hearing what's been done and we walk away in the Christian life at times and even during the day thinking about all of what we have to do instead of what's been done And so it's into this that the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he he has written to them some wonderful, glorious truths. And in fact, fact, the first three chapters are really all about who they are in Christ, all of the beauties and the glories of their salvation in Christ that God has called them. He's done a great work in them, and, and he's giving them, in a sense, a glowing performance appraisal. 
And he's telling them all these wonderful things that, that he's, he's aware that the word is going forth from you and that you're loving the brothers and keep doing that. You're doing a great job, keep doing that. And then he tells them some commands and like every human, I'm sure they're tempted to be aware of commands and to forget everything else. Because we're tempted to think that our sanctification, it depends on us doing better, doing more, being better and, and the result is that we can, we can kind of walk through life with this low-level discouragement, low-level hopelessness, low-level feeling like we can't do it. Anybody here can relate to that at all in any way? So Paul ends this letter, and the Holy Spirit inspires them to write these words because the church in Thessalonica needs to hear this. They need to be left with that. You know, when, when you're at a, a loved one's deathbed and they're, they're speaking and they give final words, you, you, you tend to remember those things. Because they're important. These are final words, the important words that we're meant to hear, not just at the end of this letter, but really in our lives. This needs to be the words, really, that, that cover our entire lives as we pursue sanctification. Yeah, we got things to grow in, but here, here's the final words we really need to remember. Here are the things we need to hang on to, the things that are most important. And, and really, the, the big picture that I think God would have us walk away with today is that, that our holiness and our blamelessness they're guaranteed by God's faithfulness. Our holiness and our blamelessness, our, our holiness is our sanctification, that's, those are words used interchangeably, our holiness and our blamelessness, our, our ability to be holy and, and the fact that we are pure and without spot or blame, that we're innocent, those are kept by God's faithfulness. And if that's not informing, if that's not driving your sanctification, what is going to result is you're going to be, become either legalistic or completely discouraged. And so Paul here, he ends with these words because he wants us to see that, no, our, our holiness and our blamelessness, they are kept, they're guaranteed by God's faithfulness. But so often what we can think of is that, you know, God, he's saved us, he's rescued us, and he's made us clean, and we believe that truth, and then yet we're aware we continue to sin. And so often we can go about day by day thinking that, that God is either angry with us or he's at least shaking his head in disapproval and like, mm, not good enough. And we can have this low-level kind of discouragement. We don't meet up, we're not good enough. But what we need to hear is something that really is surprising in a sense, is that God has called the God of peace in this passage. And we need to hear the fact that the God of peace himself is sanctifying you. The God of peace himself is sanctifying you. He doesn't say you're sanctifying you. Yes, we, we are to pursue sanctification. He's already told us twice, this is God's will for us, our sanctification. We need to pursue sanctification. What that means is we need to pursue growing in holiness. But what we need to hear is that the God of peace himself is sanctifying you. What that means, first of all, is that God is not angry with us if you've trusted in Jesus. Now, if you are not a Christian, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, then, then you actually have earned all of God's wrath like all of us had. The good news of Christianity of the gospel is that God's wrath has been poured out on Jesus in our place. That's what we celebrated in the communion today. That every stripe that he took was punishment for us. The wounds he bore were wounds that we deserve. The death he died, we deserve to die eternally. 
the anger or the wrath of God that Jesus experienced on the cross is, is what we all deserve. And yet God says, I'm going to put all of the sins of mankind on Christ. I'm going to put all the sins of those who trust in Jesus on him. He's going to pay. So that now he's propitiated us. He's made us, he's made us so that God is no longer angry. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and new life, we have peace. And now, instead of being a God of wrath towards us, it says he's the God of peace. As, as, I, as I, I, I studied those words, as I meditated those words, I kicked them around in my head, I, I was actually having a hard time because I was aware that my default is not to think of God as a God of peace. How about you? When you think of God, do you think of God as a God of peace? You know, I think of God as almighty, he's holy, he's just, he's, he's powerful, he's awesome, he's the awesome authority. Paul says, I want you to be left with this, that the God of peace himself, that's who's with you. The God of peace is how he relates to you as a God of peace. And to have peace with the greatest God, with, with the God who is over all, is to have the, the biggest advocate you know, when you make a peace treaty with another country, you make a peace treaty because you're hoping that you make an alliance with that country, that nation, when you have peace, that you're hoping that there is security and protection brought through that. And Paul says, you, the God of peace himself, is the one who's at work. He's the one who is working in you. We have peace with him. Ephesians 2 tells us who we once used to be. It says in Ephesians 2, 3, it says, We all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's skip over to verse 13. I don't know if you can see that on the overheads or not. Skip all the way down. So it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what we celebrate in communion today. For, listen to this, he himself, same words, he himself is our peace. Who has both made us both one and broken down on his flesh, dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, he's made peace because he's, he's gotten rid of all the demands of the law against us that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Did you know that the hostility that you deserve from God has been killed? Is dead. There's no more hostility. Now God's a God of peace. It says he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. God is a God of peace towards us. We need to hear that. He's not angry. He's at peace with us. He's the source of our peace. This peace treaty that can never be broken because the peace treaty relies on something that Jesus has already done and can never be undone. We have peace now. It means we have unlimited access to God. 
You know, my, my daughter loves to go to concerts, and I've, I've, I've gone to two or three, you know, over the, the past few years, and, and, and it, they, I enjoy them. And, and sometimes you can, you know, get access to a backstage to, to meet the artists, to greet them, to say hello to them, and, and you feel like by, by being around them that somehow you're privileged and, and you can feel like this appearance as if you're friends, but you're really not. But you can be like, yeah, I know them, I'm buddies with them. I got to accidentally bump into a band. I didn't know they were a band. We were in Colorado about a month ago, and we were looking at this, um, I can't even remember the name of the place. Red Rocks, yeah, Red Rocks Stadium. And I was there in Red Rocks, and I just, it was empty, and I was looking around, and they were going to have a concert later that night, and I saw some guys like up above me, and I was like, hey, could you take our picture? And so we handed them our phone. They took our picture. It was really cool. I found out it was the band. Uh, I didn't know that it was the band that was going to be playing, and I kind of felt a little goofy because I was like, hey, uh, yeah, where are you guys? You, you guys like working here? What are you doing? They're like, yeah, we're the band. I'm like, oh, whoops. But I felt like we had a connection, you know, like we're buddies, and I'm sending my daughters pictures of the band, and they, they knew who it was. I had no idea who it was. Um, but they were, like, apparently sold out at Red Rocks. And, and so I had no clue. My daughters knew who that was, and they were like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I had access, but there's no real relationship. It's only the appearance. It, it made me feel special for a moment, it's, but it wasn't lasting. Jesus brings us into a lasting relationship with God Almighty. You know, the ultimate backstage pass, if you will. We have peace with him. Now we have the ultimate father giving us help. The ultimate friend. The ultimate counselor. The ultimate one who said he'll never forsake us. We need to hear that. We need to hear that we have peace with God, and the God of peace himself sanctifies us. And that's what Paul prays for. Now, the work is ongoing, but one day he completely will. He will, he will completely finish that work, but right now he prays that the God himself will sanctify you completely. It doesn't depend upon you, Christian. Our hope is not that we sanctify ourselves completely. It's that he himself will sanctify us. And not just most of the way, but completely. You know, I, I often feel inadequate to break my habits, my long-standing patterns of, of just weakness and sin and deficiency. You ever feel that way at times? You're like so frustrated with yourself because you keep doing the same stupid things you, that you didn't want to do? Aaron referenced it, I actually had it as one of the passages we were going to read today, that, that we just keep doing the same dumb things. We don't want to do them, we know better. And the things that we don't want to do, we end up doing. And things we do want to do, we don't do. And it's frustrating at times. Paul, he, right before this, he, he, he said abstain from every form of evil. And that was the primary application there was in relationship to prophecies. Abstain from evil there. But he says every form of evil, so it's all-encompassing. Even more than that, not just the evil and a prophecy that you abstain from. He says, but abstain from every form of evil. And they think, how in the world can I do that? How in the world can I abstain from every form of evil? How can I keep myself pure? How can, how can I do this whole thing? He's talking about sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says he's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of God. And you're like, but I don't feel worthy. In, in, in Thessalonians 4.1, he says, we, we ask and urge you to receive from us how you ought to live and please God just as you're doing. Do more and more. And in verse 3, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. He goes on to explain, keeping your body in holiness and honor. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 7, he says, God hasn't called us for impurity, but in holiness. He says, if you disregard this, you don't disregard man, you disregard God. And when you, if we're honest and we're hearing all those things, we can easily forget the first part of Thessalonians and we can feel like, I don't know that I really can change and we can become discouraged. And then after the passage that Aaron read today about that frustration that we experienced in Romans 7, 19 to 24, that whole, that whole passage, he says, he says at the end of that, and he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers it. And it's the answer that, that Aaron read too. He, and, and Aaron didn't know I was going to read this passage. But in, at the end, in Romans 7, 25, he answers the question, wretched man, who is the man? Who's going to deliver me? He answers the question in Romans 7, 25, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been sanctified. We've been made holy. And because of that, Romans 8, 1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. And listen to this, in order the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Did you know the righteous requirement of God's law, the one that you're, you're trying to obey, it's already been fulfilled in you? That's staggering. It's shocking. It doesn't feel that way. That's why we need these words. This is why the, the end of Thessalonians is so important. Christ died for that very reason, that he might sanctify the church, tells us in Ephesians 5. That's the, that's the purpose of Christ's substitutionary death for us, is that he might sanctify us, that he might make us holy and cleanse us by the washing of water with the word, so that he would present the church to himself in splendor, with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But sometimes I, I feel pretty spotty, pretty wrinkled. He says, this is the reason Christ died, so that he would present you without spot or wrinkle, so that you might be holy and without blemish. Christian, God is more concerned, more interested in your sanctification, more invested in your sanctification than you are. That's really good news. God himself sanctifies us and will do so completely. And then here's the whole thing. We can, we can pursue sanctification because... He's already made us blameless. And that's what this passage tells us as well. Paul is not just pointing to the fact that God himself will sanctify us. He's the God of peace towards us. He's going to sanctify us. But the faithful one, he will keep you blameless. That's the second big idea, big truth we need to see from this passage is the faithful one will keep you blameless. Now, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around blamelessness. To be blameless means to be completely pure, innocent, without any fault, in no way being able to be blamed. I'm just not aware of anything like that. I can have a wonderful meal, you know, the best steak I can think of, and in my head I'm thinking, 
here's something else I could tweak to make it a little better. It's, it's a great steak, the best steak I've ever had. It's not completely blameless. You know, we, we, can, we can hardly fathom the idea of blamelessness. Maybe the closest we can get is to a, a, a perfect diamond, a, a diamond with no flaws, with, with no deviations, no variances. That's the closest we can get to the idea of blamelessness. But even that is fragile. It's susceptible to be damaged. It's susceptible to be crushed if somebody would take a hammer to it. If everything that we can think of in this world is, is susceptible to, to blame, susceptible to going away. It can fade. It can be taken away. But here's what he says. The, the faithful one is who keeps us blameless. And, and he keeps us blameless because he's already made us blameless. And it's not a blamelessness in ourselves. It's a, the fact that Jesus has removed all blame. He's taken every blame. Are you, are you aware in your head? Just want you to think for a moment. Are you aware of anything that you deserve blame for in this life? Anything you've done wrong? Any bad word? Any bad thought? Any bad deed? Any, anything where you're like, yeah, that was me. He's taken all of that blame. And he's put it on Christ. And so now you are blameless. He's removed all the impurities, impurities like, like refining gold and removing all the impurities. He's, he's taken it away in Christ. And then he says that it doesn't depend on us to keep it, to keep ourselves blameless. He says he is the one. He who calls you, he's faithful. He, he prays for us to be kept blameless, kept without fault, kept in Christ because in Christ, we're blameless, so if we're kept in Christ, we're kept blameless. And that ability to keep ourselves in Christ is actually, depends on him keeping us, him holding us. I love the picture in John where Jesus shares about, he says, I and the Father are one, and, and the Father holds you in his hands, and no one can snatch you from the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. And just think about it, your ability to pry open God's hands, it's impossible, and he says, you're blameless, you're kept that way by God. It's the same thing he referenced in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. What does that mean? That we, we need our hearts to be reminded of our blamelessness before him. Our blamelessness in regards to holiness before God. And, and, and that is how God encourages us in the Christian walk. That's how he actually makes us more and more actually righteous is by meditating on having our hearts established in the fact that, that we are blameless in him. And because of that, in Romans 8.33, it says, who will bring any charge against God's elect? The ones who God calls, no one can bring charges against them because God has already said they're completely acceptable. God has said to you, Christian, if you put your faith, however feeble, however failing, and by the way, your faith may falter, you might not feel it, our hope is that God has called us, he's elected us, he's justified us. He said it's as if you've never sinned, you're completely clean. And then he says because of that, who's to condemn? Who's to condemn? Everything that we do is meant to be lived in light of that fact. Everything we do is meant to be lived in light of the fact that, that no one can condemn us because we've already, all our sins have been condemned in Christ. He's condemned in our place. So no condemnation remains. 
And now we get to live in light of that, that end day. It says, he, he, we're gonna be kept blameless until when? To the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're actually to be living every day, today, in light of that day. Martin Luther was actually really famous. He picked up on that idea and he says he only has two days on the calendar. Today or this day and that day. Meaning we should all live today with an awareness of the fact that we're gonna be kept blameless at the coming of Christ. Same time, we're aware that we're living today in light of the fact that he's returning, which means that we actually are involved in our sanctification process. We, we respond. And you can think, well, isn't this just pointing back again to our duty, our effort, that it depends on us? And then Paul gives us better news. Look in, look in verse 24, he says, no, he who calls you is faithful. You see, God knows that, that we're not faithful and that we can often dwell on our unfaithfulness. And so what he says is we need to see that he who calls us is faithful. And, and I love that, that beautiful picture of, of him calling us. You see, God, God, he draws us by his Holy Spirit. He makes us alive, enables us to respond to him. He calls us. And then not only does he call us to himself, but it's an effectual calling. It's the kind of calling by which he makes us his own. He adopts us. And then he calls us by his own name. God gives us his very own name. So now your entire identity, your name has been changed. He calls you, you're his children is what he calls you. He calls you sons and daughters. And God's calling of you can't be undone. He says he who calls you is faithful. He's chosen you. You've been loved by God and he's chosen you. That's wonderfully assuring news, isn't it? You know, I am so unfaithful in so many little ways. I try to be faithful, but you know what? I, I, there's so many ways I'm not. And yet my hope is that he who calls us to himself is faithful. That's wonderfully assuring. You know, thinking about what does it mean to be faithful? It, it means that someone is trustworthy. It means that they're steadfast, they're, con they're constant, they can be relied upon, they can be depended upon for help. And when I think of faithfulness from a human perspective, the closest I can get is my own dad in some ways. He's not been faithful in every way, but, but he's been somebody I could rely on. Like most humans, he's flawed. You know, I think we can all agree that our parents are flawed, that we're flawed. But, but one of the things is I could always rely on my dad, I still can, he's, he's old now, he's able to do a little less. But I could always rely on him to, to at least try to help, to be there. He was a constant. When, when we bought a home that was not yet, didn't even have an occupancy permit, we couldn't move in because it was not only not finished, but we weren't allowed to legally. We couldn't even get a loan on the home because it wasn't finished, didn't have an occupancy permit. So my dad, I said, hey, could you help? And he's like, sure, I'll draw up some blueprints for you so that you can get a loan. So he drew up blueprints, we got a loan. And then I was like, hey, this, this doesn't have anything done. Like there's no porch, there's no, some of the structural stuff needs help. And he's like, great, we'll do it together. And he was there and he came up for weeks at a time and was helping do work. And, and, and because I, I called him because I knew that I could rely on him to be there. And he would help in whatever way he could. Now, he, his help was limited. He's not all able. He's not, not all sufficient. He's limited financially. He's, he's limited by what he knows. 
but he was, I could trust him to be there. I could trust him to respond. If I really needed him, I could trust him as a constant. I, I, I rely on the fact that I know that he's going to be faithful in that way. We have a perfect, loving father, the one who calls us his own. He's our father, and he calls us his children, and it says, he who calls you is faithful. He's not limited in any way. He doesn't have limited resources. He doesn't have limited ability. He doesn't, he doesn't have limits in his knowledge. He's perfect in every way. He, he's not limited in his faithfulness either. He, that's, that's one of the defining attributes of God is that he is, he is faithful. Deuteronomy 7 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And when you hear that second part, you think, oh, do I really love God enough? Do I keep his commandments enough? No, but Christ has. So in him, we are those who love him. In him, we are those who keep his commandments. He says the Lord is faithful to a thousand generations. David sang of God's faithfulness. He said, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds those who are falling and rises up all who are bowed down. Isaiah describes him as, as the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who's chosen you. That's what Paul is reminding us of. He's pointing us back to these things. 1 Corinthians, it even talks about how God is faithful in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, how God is faithful in the midst of our temptation. He says, no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. But with every temptation, he'll provide a way of escape. Because why? Oh, God is faithful. With God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Because God is faithful. It doesn't mean we're sinless. It doesn't mean on our own we're, we're not going to be tempted beyond our ability. But God is faithful because it's his ability he gives us. He provides the way of escape. He enables us to endure it. And even when we do sin, 1 John 1 tells us that, that he is still faithful. You know, when people continue to do bad things to me, I, I begin to distance myself from them naturally. I think a lot, a lot of us do that. And, and in time after time, like, hey, I'm sorry. If you do the same thing 70 times, I'm probably going to get a little irritated with that. You know, Peter, understandably, was coming to Jesus like, hey, Hey, seven times the same thing? Like, if James continues to do the same dumb thing seven times in a row, and I've forgiven him, and he does it, and like, can I, am I done now? God's like, no, because I'm never done. I'm never done forgiving. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. In light of our unfaithfulness, he's, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. He can be trusted in every way. He's faithful. It can be trusted that not only has he been at work, he's going to continue to be at work in your life. He's faithful. And this one who is faithful, Paul says, he will surely do it. You see, everything that God says comes about. Everything that God says comes to pass. Everything God promises can be trusted Jesus said in Matthew, the Son of God himself, he says in Matthew 24, 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. Heavens don't last. The earth won't last. Everything is in a state of decay. The heavens and the earth are going to pass away in the end. But he says, my words will not pass away. 
he will surely do it. His promises are faithful and true. We can trust God to do the work. The God of peace himself is sanctifying you. The faithful one will keep you blameless. But not only that, in the meanwhile, these little last three throwaway things that Paul writes about in verses 25 to 28, they're, they're, they're means of grace because he wants us to see that, that we're not alone, that he gives us the means of grace. He gives us grace along the way. Not only is he, keep, is he sanctifying us, God of peace himself sanctifies us. The faithful one keeps us blameless. But the Lord gives us his grace along the way. We're not left alone. He, he gives us a grace in the form of brothers and sisters in Christ. When he says brothers, by the way, that always in, the, in Thessalonians, it's always uh, it means brethren or it includes brothers and sisters. It means the, the gathered believers, those who are family in Christ Jesus. And he, and he makes a request to them right after saying that God's going to keep you blameless, God's going to completely sanctify you, but he still says, brothers, pray for us. Because prayer is the means by which God works in our lives. He responds to our prayers to actually sanctify us, to make us holy, to make us blameless, to bring about his work in us. So he says, brothers, pray for us. Paul still needed prayer for the ability to do the work that God had called him to do. And we, we still need prayer. We still need prayer. And half the time we need prayer just to reorient our thinking about what's right and true. To align our desires to God's desires. And then to ask him to do what we're not able to do. We also need the relationships that God provides to us in the church. And so that's why he says brothers or brothers and sisters. He wants them to be aware that they're not alone. They're not alone. The reason why we gather together as a church is not just because it's, it's the right thing to do or it's the American thing to do or you know, Christians are supposed to get together. No, it's because we are a family and we need each other and we need to hear each other singing God's word. We need to hear each other responding to God's word. We need to hear each other in our struggles. We need to hear each other in our victories. We need to hear each other be around each other. We need the body to be encouraged to help us pursue walking in a manner worthy of the calling, to, to spur us on to love and good deeds. And so he gives us loving family relationships along the way. And in order to reinforce that idea, he tells them something that's really strange to us. He says, greet one another, brothers, greet the brothers and sisters, greet each other with a holy kiss. And in our culture today, that's pretty weird. There used to be a guy in... Uh, in, in Texas, he was part of our, our church planting group that we used to be a part of, and he had, he had come from a very different culture. I can't remember if it was Lebanon or where he was from, but, but he, he came from that culture. I remember the first time I met him, he gave me a hug, and then he kissed me on each cheek, and I got freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting a warm one planted there. I just didn't. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. And... Um, you know, we let them know, hey, that's, that's culturally a little off-putting in the U.S. at least. But he's like, well, every Christian does that where I'm from. And, and, and what, why that came about was this. It was it's this familiar relationship. In the, in the Greek and Roman culture that this letter was written to, it was common for really close friends and family to greet each other with warmth and acceptance. So they would greet each other with a, with a kiss on his cheek. And so he's encouraging that 
in this culture in the church. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go leave from here today and start kissing each other. That's not, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. You better get permission before you try that, okay? Um, <laughs> I don't want you going home like, yeah, well, Matt said I could kiss everybody. I'm just going to start kissing everybody in the church. This is a holy kiss, by the way, but it's a holy greeting. And what it would communicate is that and, and it's really astounding. In this church in Thessalonica, it was made up of Jews and Greeks and Romans, made up of people who were rich and poor, people who were currently slay, enslaved, and people who were free, people who were Roman citizens. It was made up of all walks of life and from all strata of life, from all backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnicities were gathered together in this church. And so when you're greeting each other like that, with that warmth, with that familial acceptance, what you're communicating that is all of these boundaries are gone because in Christ he's made us one in him. They need to be reminded that they were equally all accepted in Christ. They were part of his family. And you know what, we, we need that same kind of reminder. Now maybe here it's giving somebody an appropriate holy hug or holy handshake or whatever your comfort is, but by showing out, getting out of your comfort zone and showing your acceptance, your love, your affection, it's actually a means by which God encourages us. So he gives us prayer, he gives us these loving family relationships as a means of grace. And he gives us his word, and he charges them something here. It's a very stern warning. He says, I put you under oath. I'm going to make you swear to God that you're going to read this letter to all the brothers. Why is he doing that? Because one of the means of grace is God's word for us. It's God's word that tells us the truth about who we are in him and who he is and what he's doing in our lives and how we respond to them and the fact that, that we are kept blameless in him, that he is faithful and he is true. And so he gives them the means of grace of the word. He puts us under oath. We need God's word to be sanctified. And then lastly, our whole life depends upon the grace of the Lord Jesus being with us. His favor continually with us. God's given us the very favor of Christ, his unmerited favor to us. And we trust in that grace day by day. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we pray that we would be able to grasp, to understand the fact that you are at peace with us, that 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 particular truth would permeate our minds particularly, that you are the God of peace towards us and you are the one who are sanctifying us. I pray that our hope would be in that. I pray that our hope would be grounded on the fact that, that you make us blameless and keep us blameless. God, will we look to you, we pray, in faith. Now, and, and Father, I pray that you would just give us joy, that we, we would be dramatically affected even just right now as we meditate on that, that you, our sanctification depends on you, and you're gonna do it completely. You're faithful, that we're blameless in you, and you keep us that way. Lord, would you just give us joy in that? Would you give us freedom in that? In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.